0: You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Hey, we're here today with Berna Anat talking about money. As parents, it turns out we all have a money story and research shows that the way we think about money was largely programmed into us between the ages of seven and nine years old. And we're passing a lot of these unconscious ideas about money that we've internalized onto our kids. We're gonna talk about budgeting and why the common wisdom for budgeting doesn't really seem to work for a lot of young people and what works better. We'll talk about credit, and debt and getting your teen their first credit card and we'll look at a little hack on how to give your teenager a massive jump start on their credit score that i'd never heard of before and wasn't familiar with and i think it's something that a lot of parents don't know about all that and more is coming up on the show today with berna annette and berna creates financial education media all over the internet She's the daughter of two Philippine immigrants, and she taught herself how to pay off over $50,000 of debt, and then did what any millennial would do, yelled about it on the internet. Her work has been featured on platforms such as Forbes, The New York Times, and BuzzFeed. She's been named the most entertaining financial content creator two years in a row, and she's the author of the new book, Money Out Loud. Really excited to speak with Berna today about how parents can discuss money with teens. Berna, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been talking about money for a long time and have a community online, it seems like. How did you get interested in this topic and think that money was such an important thing to be talking about?
1: Oh, man, totally backwards. That's how I got into it. I grew up wanting to be a writer. I wanted to write in magazines. I wanted to be the editor-in-chief of Seventeen magazine, back when people write magazines. And I'm a Filipino-American daughter of immigrants from the Bay Area. And I joke all the time, lots of Asian-American immigrant families, you have four choices growing up. You're either can be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, or a disappointment. And I ended up going the disappointment route, but my family eventually got used to it. But yeah, my family does not come from any kind of money at all. No finance background in my family. Both my parents are immigrants. And I majored in communications and PR in college. The way I found myself in the world of money was really, I found myself first in like shame and sadness. I was like in my mid-20s, early 20s here in New York City I was a freelance writer, aka extremely ridiculously, like poetically broke, and I had twelve thousand dollars of credit card debt, and I had forty thousand dollars of student loan debt in that moment, and I was like, "Cool," but I, you know, I felt so shamed about my debt and so confused. But no one else around me was talking about money, so I just assumed. I was the stupidest. I assumed that I had the worst. It wasn't until I started to like, okay, well, what if I just Googled, you know, like very millennial, I was like, I'm just gonna Google how to budget. I'm gonna Google how do you get out of credit card debt? Because we didn't learn this stuff in school, no one was teaching me. So this is like the millennial way of University of Google. And I started to, you know, learn stuff on the internet. I started to read books and listen to podcasts. And people were like, Like, oh, you're getting into money? You should read this book. You should listen to this podcast. This guy's my favorite money guy. And then I was like, I noticed one day, and I love to say this now, that the money world is hella male, hella pale, hella stale. It's just like (laughs) older white dudes everywhere giving older white dude money advice. And it's not bad advice necessarily. It's just coming from the face of a person I can't relate to and like a voice and a life I can't relate to. So really, that's how it began. I started to sort of learn out loud. I posted on my Instagram like, here's the budgeting thing I'm learning. What do y'all think? people were like, what? Like, we can talk about money like this. Women can talk about money. Women of color can talk about money. That's really where it kind of blew up from there.
0: What do you think is your audience mainly who is following you?
1: The folks that follow me, I think the most, it's a lot of women. It's a lot of women and non-binary folks. It's a lot of people of color. And I think because I am not like the most accredited financial expert. I don't have every single, like, I don't give investment advice and like specific stocks. I don't like know about crypto. And, you know, I don't have the like very specific details of everything. I think people follow me because for the very kind of simple reason that I am a woman of color talking about money in a way that isn't finance ease. I am, you see me now and I seem adult-ish, but I like to joke that I'm like, you know, like three children inside of a trench coat, like pretending to be an adult. And because of that, everything that I learn, and this is the way that I learn about money too, it's like I'm talking to my inner child. Like I have to use weird metaphors. I have to use pop culture references. I have to explain things like using... Dogs or food or memes, because that's just how my brain ingests information. And I think the folks that follow me relate to that. They're like looking for someone to talk to their financial inner child, basically of like, okay, it might be interest rates and language say it to me like I'm five. And that's how I talk to myself financially. and that's how I share information with my audience of just like, let's pretend we don't speak finances because we don't. So then how do I say this in a language I understand?
0: I love that. And you have really great like illustrations. It feels really youthful, kind of your brand or something and really accessible. And I think that's why I'm so excited to have you on the show. Because I think a lot of what's hard as a parent is kind of how do I start introducing topics around money? And how do I explain things in basic ways? And, and a lot of times, it's really hard because we struggle with money ourselves.
1: Yes, big time and you and I were just talking right before we hit record of just like how funny that you know we want to give advice to adults who have teen children to talk about money when as adults we actually have lots of financial baggage and like financial trauma is a thing financial therapists are a thing and so it's a tall order to be a parent and be like well I don't know much about money so now I have to turn around and tell this like growing being that I'm responsible for about money but the truth is that's the way that things have always been generations on generations you are learning the financial smarts that are passed down to you problem is what do we know you know what i mean like so many of us are coming from a place of like oh school of hard knocks this is what i learned because i needed to work this is what i learned like from what i gleaned even before google existed and so the very first chapter of my book i talk about unpacking your money story and you know i don't even go out the gate with like oh tips and tricks and like budgeting hacks or whatever i'm like let's first talk about you as an adult i'm talking to the parent as a parent first let's talk about what your money story is there is a study from the university of cambridge that says that we kind of set our financial like mental foundation between the ages of 7 and 9 which is horrifying to, yeah, yeah exactly were you being shown budgeting and investing flashcards between the ages of seven and nine? No. Yeah. Maybe somebody was, not to yuck your yum, maybe you were, but like a lot of us were not. And so, and I don't say that to like panic parents and be like, oh my God, I should have been teaching them at seven. I'm so
0: far behind. Oh my God, my kid's 13. We haven't talked about it.
1: Exactly. But if you're far behind, right, 99% of the world is far behind. And so again, I'm just talking to the parent first. Let's talk about first where you learned about money. What were you learning between the ages of seven and nine? If it wasn't investing flashcards, which from most of us it wasn't, what you're actually learning is context about money from your caregivers. What was money like in your household growing up? What's your very first memory of money? Do you remember the first time you kind of were able to catch on that money was a good thing? Do you remember the first good memory you had about money? Do you remember the first bad memory you had about money? I think it's very worth unpacking that first for ourselves and understanding where our quote unquote bad money habits came from. If we don't do that, we tend to blame ourselves. We tend to be like, I'm just bad at money. Like as if we just came out of the womb, genetically bad at money, that's not true. The more we unpack our money story, the more empathy we can have for ourselves, the more gentle we can be for ourselves for learning. And I think that's really significant then for passing that message on to your kids. So you don't come at them with this like finger in their face of here's what I wish I did. Like we were all teens and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir. Nobody wants to hear information like that, especially not young people. So my first piece of information is explore yourself, get gentle with yourself, find financial empathy for yourself. And all the rest of the lessons I think will be easier to learn and to pass on.
0: The whole idea of having a money story and thinking through it was really interesting. And I started thinking through mine and following some of the prompts you have in the book. And it kind of there's a lot of stuff that I started kind of remembering like, Oh yeah, actually we did. It was kind of like that when I was a kid, (laughs) I don't know, kind of uncovering things that I hadn't really remembered or thought about for a long time, just about how we talked about money and treated money when I was really a child. And it's really interesting to think about how that just those general kind of ideas about money or how money works might then be showing up in our life today. And yeah, We have to connect with that before we can really do anything else.
1: Exactly. And I know that I'm not a parent myself. I am surrounded by parents though. And I understand that it's a lot of pressure to like heal yourself and heal your problems, quote unquote, so that you don't pass it on to the next generation. And I think that's impossible. It's impossible to heal and then give them the perfect thing within your own lifetime. And, but I think it really matters to just start and ask yourself those questions. You know, there's, I do have in that first chapter a licensed therapist kind of walking through what the prompt should be and how to treat yourself. But I think the number one piece of feedback I've gotten about my book so far for folks who've read it is I keep hearing, Berna, I love chapter one, but I had to go put it down and like walk a lab around my block afterwards because then we're just like confronting very deep and intense things. And so go slowly, go gently with yourself. Financial therapists are also a thing. Maybe that's something you could explore if you have the time and space and resources before, you know, coming down too hard on your team about money.
0: Yeah, and I always think, you know, Less is more in terms of how much you tell teenagers or how much you lecture them about stuff. But if you are doing some of these exercises and reflecting on your own money story and you have some interesting things that you kind of identify about yourself or realize about yourself, I think it could be cool to then also go and have a conversation about that with your kids and say, Hey, you know, I was just, I've been reading this book and or listening to this podcast and it got me thinking about how we treated money in my family when I was a kid. And here's a few things I know notice. And what have you noticed about how we treat money in our family and that kind of thing, which I think could really lead to a cool conversation.
1: Absolutely. I'm like clutching my chest because I'm like, this is, you pulled it out of my brain. This is exactly what I hope people do is that, you know, it's not let's shove money out loud in into the face of teenagers and be like, learn it or else. My fantasy is that folks of any age and especially parents, aunties, uncles, anyone who's like a mentor, takes this book and starts conversations with young people and helps them walk through the conversation about money side by side. You know, like it would be my fantasy if someone really pulled their kid aside and been like, I'm reading this book. Here's what I learned. What do you think? Because in my experience in working with teens, I worked with teen programs in the, at the YMCA for about five years. My number one thing I got out of working with teens is they want to be talked with. They want you to sit next to them and speak to them with respect, with relatability. I'm at your level. That's how you get them to listen. That's how you get them to open up and talk. And so what you just said, I'm just like, that's exactly what I want to happen. How beautiful that like your team gets to see you learning at the same time. And then they feel connected to you in this way that's not coming down at you. And I have the lessons. It's like, this is confusing for everybody, even an adult. Like, great, let's open it up.
0: Yeah. And even if a lot of the stuff that you talk about in this book, isn't something that people have done a lot before, it's all stuff that you could start doing now, even just how cool would it be to say to your kids that, you know, I really want to start understanding our family budget better and just getting more of a hold of our finances as a family. And I realize it's something that I haven't done that well of, but let's start doing it together. (laughs) Can we start reviewing our family budget at the end of the week or the month? Or what does that look like? And Yeah, it could be really just awesome modeling. And a lot of that stuff that I realized as I got older, that we didn't do as a family at my family, that was like, hey, well, so obviously, my parents were budgeting and saving and investing and doing all these things kind of behind the scenes. And then they were also like encouraging us to you know, oh, save your money and, you know, get a savings account and do all that, which was awesome. But we didn't really have a lot of conversations about the family finances, which I felt like could be really just a powerful way to teach or model, you know, rather than just lecturing.
1: Exactly. I've met a very small handful of adults who will talk about money. And they're like, yeah, actually, my parents talk to me very regularly about money. Or, you know, like we did have, like, it's very rare that I find it. But when I've, encounter those people, those are the people who are the most fearless about money. They're the most like, yeah, money doesn't freak me out. It's something that I use. I I know how to get it. I know how to manage it. But it's not the source of anxiety for them the way it is a source of anxiety for so many of us. So I'm just like, I've seen they exist. These unicorns exist in the world. And we can make these unicorns if we wanted to, but it does take time.
0: talk about this kind of standard budgeting advice, this 50 30 20 rule. Um, So talk to me about the 50 30 20 rule. And is that realistic? Or how does that show up today?
1: Oh my god, it's incredibly unrealistic. It's so funny that it's even a rule. Because I don't think I've ever met a single person who was like perfect 50 30 20. Absolutely. My rent fits in there. And so does my utility bill right in the 50. So The 50-30-20 rule is this idea. It's a very like many generations back type of idea that you should split up your money or your paycheck in these amounts. 50% of your money, air quotes, should go towards your, I call it adulting, like your needs. That's your rent. Those are your bills, utilities. Sometimes I call them like your come get me bills because if you don't pay it, someone's going to come get you like anything that you'd be like punished for, you know, you need to survive, is supposed to fit in 50% of your paycheck. And then 20% of your paycheck is quote unquote supposed to, Oh, actually 30% of your paycheck is supposed to go towards your wants, the fun stuff, entertainment, extras. That's where people are like 30, what? Uh Uh-huh so many different directions. That's like what you don't necessarily need to survive, but it's in you know eating out and it's trips and it's extra stuff. And then the remaining 20% of your paycheck is supposed to, quote unquote, go towards your financial goals, your debt, your savings, investing and things like that. Now, the way the world is set up, and I think has been set up for a long time, nobody's life fits those actual like brackets. And so I really stress in the book, 50, 30, 20 is a great place to start because it at least tells you there are three categories to your money. That's new information for a lot of us, right? Three ways that you can split up your money. But the 50, 30, the percentages, you can mess with those as much as you want, as you need to. You need to mess with them. And I think the fun thing about budgeting, what people don't teach a lot, is it's a learning process and it's like a stretch to fit process. So you mess with those percentages. At one point, I think the percentages for me I was heavily paying down debt, like like manically, like really focused on it for like three years where I was like, I'm moving back in with family. I'm having no fun, not no fun, but very little fun. And it was looking more like 67% of my paycheck was going towards my student loan debt. So that's 60, where it was supposed to be 20, it was like 67. And then whatever the numbers were left for like a little bit of fun and like a little bit of rent, a little bit of bills. And so But I didn't, I'm not living like that anymore. You know, that was my like debt payoff mode. So, anyway, long story short, you can absolutely, you have to mess with those percentages. And we can't let quote unquote hard and fast rules like that make us feel like we're not doing it right because there's no structure, there's no rule like that.
0: It does make sense that in different phases of life or different stages, we'll have to kind of adjust those depending on what our goals are or what's most important to us or what's happening in our lives. But it's cool to just start thinking about it. I wonder once you have those, like, what do you, how do you actually translate that into action or helpful utility? You know, you've got this and you kind of got your buckets worked out that this is kind of what's going to be a good amount for me. Then how do you, what do you do with that? or?
1: Oh man, so I think the easiest way to do it and like get it into action first is to set up either those separate bank accounts or if you use something like an online bank account like Ally, this is not sponsored, I just love them. If you use a bank account like Ally, you can take like your checking account and split it up into sections. So you can have like in your one checking, isn't that wild? In your one checking account.
0: That is smart.
1: It's wild, like, and it's not, it's so recent, this technology. I don't know why. It should have been, a thing a very long time ago, but you can take one checking account and split that up into your three categories so that when you're depositing money into that checking account, you can be like, I want $50 to go into my needs, I want $30 to go into my wants, da, da, da. Like you can split it up. And really, you can make as many categories as you want. You can have like a avocado toast everyday category, or like you can have a I'm a sneakerhead category, whatever you want, as long as you have your categories, right? And then I say, when you get a paycheck, I want you to give every single dollar a job, which means like, it's like no dollar left unbudgeted. You should like, your paycheck is at like a thousand dollars. Every one of those dollars should be put in one of your buckets until you get to zero. And is that's budgeting right there. And I will tell you right now, the first few times you do it, you're gonna you're going to mess up for sure. You're going to be like, oh, way too little here, way too much there.
0: Yeah, then reality, actually, there's no way I can get by on this much here.
1: Exactly. Or like, I was really overzealous with my avocado toast budget when like, I couldn't even pay like the rest of my phone bill, whatever. But it's those sort of like hitting your head against the wall moments that teach you a little bit more about your money life. And just so folks know, like it took me, I want to say like six to eight months to even be like, I think I might have one or two rules correct here. It's like, you sort of have to feel your way through it and give yourself a lot of grace when you're feeling this out. Another very important tip, is that you might not even have to do this manually. A lot of employers will actually split up your paycheck for you and put different parts of your paycheck into different bank accounts if you want them to. So then you don't even have to touch the money. It's like budgeted for you before you even touch it, which is really good if you feel like impulsive, you don't want to touch your own money, you're afraid you're gonna like mess up the flow. If you have an employer who can split it up, I very much recommend that.
0: Hey, we're here with Berna and Nat talking about how parents can discuss money with teenagers. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show
1: first thing that comes to mind is that we were lied to. We were lied to so intensely, like our generation. I feel like we were sold, as my friend likes to say, like a crappy bill of goods. The understanding is like, oh, at least, you know, I was very, I was like a nerd in high school. I was like, the most important thing to me and my friend group was like getting into a good, the most impressive college possible. And then we had to sort of feel our way around scholarships and financial aid. But it was like, doesn't matter. Like whatever the most prestigious university is, we are told, that if you get good grades, you'll get into a good school. And if you get into a good school, you'll definitely get paid well. Doesn't matter how much it's gonna cost to go to that school, you'll pay it off. Like that's the idea. I do not blame our like Gen Z and newer generations for being like kind of side-eyeing college. What's also scary is, you know, the way that I also signed up for my first credit card. I was like a freshman or sophomore in college and I'm not gonna say the name of the bank, redacted but there was a bank that had a table on my college campus and they were just giving out free sweaters they're like here's a free sweater if you sign up for our horrible interest rate credit card I was like what's the interest rate I want a sweater so I signed up and turns out like years later I learned about interest rates and a horrible interest rate and it was a horrible bank also like morally terrible bank but it's that it was that simple to be predatory to young people Young people are watching your actions. They're watching what you do. They're watching very closely what you do, and then they're copying what you do. And so, in the very last chapter of my book, I talk about financial activism, right? And how the way you move your dollar can affect the world. So, if this is something you want to pass on to your young people, you need to live it first, right? Maybe you're having open conversations about you're using this much a percentage of your paycheck and giving to a charity or giving to a nonprofit, or you set up recurring donations to this mutual aid fund and why this is why I do it or maybe you're having conversations with your teen about here's why we started shopping at the smaller local grocery store that sources like from the local area versus going to the big box store here's why we stopped ordering stuff off of amazon because jeff bezos doesn't need any more of our money here's why you know like we're doing this fundraiser to like raise funds for this specific cause like talking your young person and like showing your young person what you do with your money that is more than just spending if you're intentional about your spending and you're showing that to your teen they will learn that's a principle that they should kind of adopt that that's something important to them i wish that i had like if i could go back in time or if i could sort of like auntie myself i wish i had someone who was showing me like oh yeah you know like yeah we can go shopping let's go shopping though at this smaller store that's like owned by a filipino family that we know because When I spend my money with these people, I'm saying to them, I want you to succeed. Like when you're giving your dollar to somebody, a company or a person, you're like, I'm voting for more of you.
0: Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.